Hello, everyone. My name is Joshua Gilliland, and I'm one of the founding attorneys of the Legal Geeks. With me tonight is Tom Harper and Steve Chu. We're going to talk about the fourth episode of The Bad Batch, Cornered. Gentlemen, how are you doing in alphabetical order? I had to look at our last names. Yeah, yeah I guess I'm close. Oh. We've known each other for how long, and you made me nervous there, Josh. The, the alphabet is not with me today, Josh. But um, I, I, other than that, for not being able to count the alphabet, I, I think I'm doing okay. Yeah. How are you, Thomas? <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna mute me for the rest of the episode. Like he can't get his ABCs right. There's no way we're taking Star Wars legal advice from this guy. The looks on your faces with what? Oh no! <laughs> Am I muted? Can you hear me? No, no. We, you, you're fine. <laughs> other than that i'm i'm good maybe i'm like concussed like uh wrecker is but <laughs> you guys have long I mean, like, it's like I, i've done document review today but <laughs> so let's talk about cornered because uh it's a fun episode and I was listening to a couple other podcasts and they're all over the map with some people saying like, Oh, it's filler and others are absolutely in love with it. And it's like, I enjoyed it because not everything has to be the Titanic battle between good and evil. It's let's get to know people. Let's get to have stories. Let's get to see adventures take place. And I'm also pretty uh, sure that Fennec spent a, probably 15, 20 years in carbonite because that's the only way to explain the lack of aging. So, uh, and, unless she's a clone later. <laughs> so, like good, good galactic genes, I would say. Yeah, it's like, wow. Uh, so if she's like early 20s in this, that, you know, put her over 50 by the time of Mandalorian and uh, aging well. <laughs> so... The the dark side is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. I mean, I love, <laughs> I, I love and adore Ming-Na Wen. And so it's seeing her go from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to uh, Mulan to, uh, you know, Clone Wars and, and Mandalorian. Uh, she's, pardon me, Bad Batch and Mandalorian. Uh, she's like done the Disney trifecta. A uh, few people have pulled yeah. that off. Yeah. And uh, she's really developed a reputation as a butt kicker. I mean, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., she's yeah. like the one man army, you know, or one person army. In mm-hmm. um, Mandalorian, she was pretty deadly. And then I, we, we can only assume she's going to feature in uh, the book of Boba Fett, I, I think is what the next yeah. series is. Uh, yeah. The, the only, you know, somebody who comes close is uh, David Tennant, who was in the Clone Wars animated mm-hmm. series, and then as the Purple Man and Jessica Jones. So I'm sure he would love a live-action Star Wars, because, uh, again, seems, you know, you throw in the Doctor Who chops, he's clearly a nerd. So, uh, but yeah, it's... This was a fun episode, and with a healthy amount of legal topics to get into. So- and, and I, I will just say, just to get it out of the way, um, Ming-Na Wen, I've been a huge fan of her 
from all the way back to the Joy Luck Club and before. Oh. Um, she's one of the few Asian American actresses who has a relatively high profile, um, known certainly within the Asian American community. And then, you know, I think has become more known to um, broader pop, pop culture as a whole. So it's uh, wonderful seeing some representation. Yeah. I like this. I, I am really growing to, if I didn't already, to really despise the phrase filler episode because it just speaks to like a lack of understanding of how an episodic TV series builds character and storylines. It's, I mean, this isn't, they've made this very clear that this isn't rebels or the clone wars where you're going to get these compacted stories, micro stories over a two or a three episode arc. And they're telling it, you know, a 15 episode narrative. And to do that, you can't advance the ball. Like as you said, Josh, not everything is going to be the super bowl of action. And I thought this was a great episode. You take a character like Fennec Shan, Shand and we saw a slice of her in the Mandalorian but this really made her seem like a formidable I mean you you heard her background and sort of her notoriety just spoken about by by Din in the Mandalorian here you get to see the seeds of that reputation you know she's relatively early in her career and buck kicker's about the best term that I can describe <laughs> for that one Steve because you know she's menacing and <laughs> You know, she's it, it's like this. It's not just like all butt kicking and, and nothing else. It's like this menacing, like, I'm going to be your friend. Let me take my yeah, helmet off. Right. This kid will get into some legal <clears throat> issues there. But uh, it, it's almost this sinister quality to get the job done uh, instead of just this smash and grab sort of character with with uh, no real thought behind her actions. Right. And I got this vibe it was almost like I'm going to call back to a different franchise, but Terminator two, like the T 1000 in that movie where he's just coming yeah. and coming, and coming, coming after you. That was the vibe that I got from Fennec that nothing was going yeah. to stop her. Um, even blaster bolts and explosions or wrecker. <laughs> and so yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed this episode for that. So how did, um how did Hunter describe her? Uh, he just said, highly trained or something like that some highly trained dangerous operative is after us yeah. um and you know like you said thomas you know she's not one-dimensional she's got many ways to beat you and you know she, she ingratiates herself um <clears throat> into the circle uh and she seems almost friendly like i found myself hoping for a moment you know maybe she's not so bad or she's going to end up on the right side here and interesting to me was when Hunter sees her, right away he recognizes her for what she is. Maybe that's just because, uh, you know, a, a fisherman can see, recognize another fisherman from a mile away or yeah. you know, they, they yeah. kind of know. Uh, and she takes down, I mean, she fights the Bad Batch to a standstill and gets the better of Wrecker with one move, you know. <laughs> like when she pulled that move, my 12-year-old just called out, Daddy. Dad, that, that was judo. You use your enemy's force against them in one nice. move. And I was thinking, <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, Wrecker's going to get up. Wrecker? Hello? <laughs> you know? It's like, oof. He, he was concussed. I mean, part of the batch of strength is when they fight together. And yeah. them all being separate is a different situation. 
she is a uh, petty thief in addition to uh, you know being a mercenary and I mean, we we can break down a lot of her actions throughout this because we you know killing uh, Omega tuck and roll when you hit so there's definitely um, she's not just a mercenary like with the end of the Mandalorian post credit scene you know she lets one of the uh, slave dancers go you know mm -hmm. does the, the head tilt for you know get out and again through what we saw in in the rescue in the mandalorian we you know we, we have a pretty good idea of what she's like um even though this is 27 years earlier um so yeah there's a lot to unpack with her, but there's definitely a, a lot of child endangerment to kidnapping or attempted kidnapping that's taking place uh, with this. But it's, uh, uh, yeah, I, and again, I have a feeling that it's the, uh, you know, the cloners who are trying to recapture Omega, uh, which again, seems weird since they were the ones who helped her escape. Yeah, so, it, it's an interesting backs backstop to all of this because I think you're exactly right. That's that's who hired Fennec, but by the time of the Mandalorian, she's got this notoriety as the Hut's top assassin. Not to say that you can't be an equal opportunity assassin and get hired by multiple clients, but it seemed certainly seemed like the the Hut cartel sort of had her on speed dial. By that point in time so that, you know maybe it's stuff like this that gets her um sort of a portfolio of business that that lands her a client like the huts um just a few years later but yeah i i will say to set things up as we dive into the episode i really liked that we went to an inhabited world again they they spotted um on on radar there a a potential uninhabited world and that would have been fine. I would have been okay to go to a planet like that. But we also got to go to a sort of a familiar planet, even though it's not one that we've seen before um, on location on screen, but Pantora. And we've seen a number of Pantoran characters, not to mention George Lucas playing one in Revenge of the Sith alongside his one of his daughters. And uh, I thought that was kind of neat because it was this sort of um, really eclectic city there that they're in the middle of. And yet they still don't fit in as <laughs> they land. They're just sticking out like sore thumbs. But I, that was a neat backdrop to the whole episode. They're the only one with civilian attire. I mean. You know, <laughs> well, you know, if, unless you get droid attire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard. Because you know, it's like. Yeah. We haven't seen tech in civilian attire. So there's a. Uh, but everybody else, you know, with the exception, I could just picture what what tech would wear. He'd like do. He'd run like an algorithm about what would fit him in the best, and then it would, you know, just be like suspenders and you know, <laughs> high water pants. And he's like, "But my yeah, data I'm, shows." So, anyways, <laughs> I, I'm thinking like some kind of high level techie. You know, guy. I don't know what a Google employee may wear, perhaps, <laughs> or you know, so or or maybe like Apple. You know, very um, very well, minimal. Well, that's, 
you know, black turtleneck. So. Perhaps. <laughs> Maybe a Steve Jobs turtleneck. I, I don't know. <laughs> I absolutely see that happening. So yeah. I'm sure the model's already been created. So, but it'll be interesting <laughs> if, if we actually do see that. So. Right. So turning to the episode, they they land and immediately bribe a warfinger uh, to you know not scan the ship. Let's talk about bribery because I don't know what that guy's position was. If it was like local government or if it was just a private dock that they landed at, I don't know, but. Paying people, paying someone money to not do their job, bribery. I mean, like there's no way around it. And well, it's weird because it, it, the, the. I mean, it, it doesn't negate the crime, I guess, but it was induced by the employee. Not that they were the bad batch was sort of like, okay, if you want to skip that step, that's fine with us. See you later, and and then he kind of coughs a little bit and pulls like the Home Alone two, where he's like. <laughs> you forgetting something there? So n- that doesn't. Uh, I mean, they still have to make the decision, and uh, you know, to be culpable to to actually offer the bribe. But it's funny just how incompetent they are. <laughs> Even at that, he's just like shaking his money bag out. Like, is that enough? <laughs> is is this a bribe? <laughs> <laughs> they they're soldiers. Like they didn't get out much. It's it's like they just. Fought and <laughs> I blow stuff up. I'm good with machines. Like that's what they do. Yeah. And now they're, you know, mild fish out of water because they're not on the front lines. So, and, and, and point- you know that 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 offers um, a, an interesting contrast, as Thomas is pointing out. On the one hand, you have the Bad Batch, former clone soldiers, who are very good at what they do. But what they do is kind of one-dimensional. You know, what, what does a soldier do when there's no more war, right? And that's what these guys are learning. And they don't really know how to navigate these civilian um, hurdles and how to get from point A to point B very easily. They don't know how to bribe, you know, the dock master. You know, they don't know these sort of things. And you contrast that with Fennec Shan. Um, she just glides in and out of there because she has been doing... We don't know how long she's been doing this for, but we know that she's very good at what she does. Uh, and she knows how to, to navigate the system and they don't. So they're, they're at a bit of a disadvantage, you know? Yeah. And so in terms of the actual crime, I mean, you, you, it's a fairly basic crime to commit. I mean, I, and bribery is one that I think most people just understand at a basic level. You don't have to have a, law license to, to get it. Um, but you do have to have a public official, which is why Josh brought up the status of this, this worker. And I, you know, whether it's a government docking bay or not, I mean, he's, it, it seems that he's in the business of, um, scanning ships as part of a, like a governmental requirement. So, you know, the average airport, you know, a small airport, um, you know, isn't run by your local government or something like that. Uh, it, it's a business, just like many airports are private businesses, but they execute functions required by law uh, at the state and, and the federal level. And I, you know, I would say in, in that sense, uh, you know, they're executing a public function, uh, public function. And so to give them something of value, which is one of the other elements of bribery, 
this bit and this is like what what star wars is great about it just makes it clear cut it's credits it's not you know some other favor or non-monetary item uh this is just straight money out of a little satchel um to exchange that in order for that official not to do his or her duty uh that that's at the core of bribery there uh, but even it, it's funny, I say like, you don't need a law degree, but like even the bad batch are having like a hard time, like with not, not like understanding what a bribe is, but that they're a little caught off guard that one would be required, that, that something of value would be exchanged. And then they're completely inept at negotiating said bribe. It's just, I don't know how many credits they have or how many get, they gave, but the, uh, that docking official, I think it was an, oh, not he seems to think he got the the right end of the deal out of it <laughs> so it, 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 go ahead josh yeah no honor among thieves no <laughs> they didn't get the military discount on the bribery i'll tell you that yeah no 10 percent or 20 whatever you know <laughs> no. no you know it, it's interesting they are con continuing with the fish out of water theme that we've sort of identified here um, it reminded me of some other uh, examples from other universes. Um, Josh, of course, will remember this very well, but in Star Trek IV, when Captain Kirk and crew go back to San Francisco and they need money, they don't know how to get it. So they sell some old glasses that McCoy gifted to, to Captain Kirk, or you know, then Admiral Kirk. They go to an antique store. They have no idea how to haggle. Um, the store owner says, oh, I'll give you a hundred dollars for them. And Kirk goes, uh, is, is, is that a lot? You know? And I mean, what's the store owner going to say, right? No, I'm ripping you off. No, you know, like, get out of here. Uh, and then they get all the money and, and they try to like, you know, get on the, the San Francisco Muni bus, you know, paying for like a dollar fare with a $20 bill or something. And they get kicked off. Um, you know, that's kind of, that's the bad batch here. They're, they're like, Oh, yeah. you need a bribe. Oh, okay. They pull out all their money on the table sort of. How much do you need? I mean, you know, what's the guy going to say, right? Like, I'll take the whole <laughs> table. Yeah, thank you. You know, um, you know, on, on the legal issue of bribery, I, I think Thomas has um, has really just nailed it um, very well, and that is that uh, the status of the. I don't know what his name is. I guess I'll just call him the Doc Master for lack of a better term for now. He had a um, code name, but I didn't write it down. Yeah, yeah, I, I missed that, um, but. Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, he, whether he is a, a public official uh, in some formal capacity, or if he's just a private guy running his own little, you know, hangar, um, uh, it, I think we we will get to the same place because if we analogize to uh, the United States, there are many small airports, uh, small planes. And the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, you know, they don't they don't run every airport out there. They don't have enough air traffic controllers. So what they do, and the government does this frequently, uh, when the government doesn't have enough personnel to uh, staff, you know, every remote location or every location um, that has a need, they employ the services of people who do live there, locals, and they say, okay, well, we'll sort of you know license you to operate in this capacity. Um, you have these rights and responsibilities. You need to make sure that any aircraft or spacecraft that land here, they're following these rules. You got to check them out, do this list of, you know, follow this list of um, this checklist of things. 
uh, and just make sure that everything's kind of running properly. And in exchange, you know, you have some official authority. Um, you know, perhaps we pay you some as well because we don't have to hire a new person. We're just kind of um, using your services and you almost become you know, an independent contractor. The government does things like that very frequently to fill various needs. So even if this guy is a private person, he's still uh, engaging in what can be described as some form of public um, function, you know, a, a public task. Uh, so he probably has been licensed by the equivalent of the FAA in, in this uh, planet. He's got some responsibilities. Uh, he's not supposed to accept money so that he'll turn a blind eye. And ironically, he's not just bribed. I mean, he's sort of double bribed, right? I mean, he's bribed by the Bad Batch on the one hand and then by uh, the bounty hunter Fennec on the other. So uh, this is not exactly your high-level... Um, you know, elected official. This is sort of a lower guy. Um, and I think we're left with the impression that, you know, he, he would sell out probably any friend or any acquaintance for the right amount. He, he's not exactly um, someone that you can trust. Uh, and I think if the authorities find out, although the Bad Batch probably isn't quite, you know, wise enough to realize, oh, they should report him. Um, but this guy could be in a lot of trouble. Uh, and we may see him again too. Uh, who knows? The episode leaves that leaves that option uh, leaves that question open. But what what did you think, Josh? I think they won't go back. Uh, but <laughs> nor should they. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> new, a, bad, a bad Google review. Yeah, it's like new. <laughs> On the flip side, Fennec is uh, not just bumping people off. You know, the Empire's mistake is they don't take prisoners. If you, if you know, taking POWs and questioning them, they could have found, you know, like where Saul Guerrero's guys went, or say the location of Yavin 4, if they hadn't, you know, like killed the entire crew of the, uh, uh, you know, of Liz blockade runner. It's stuff like that. It's like, none of those guys talked. Were, were they all that disciplined or did they all die? Uh, I don't know the answer. Uh, but those are, she understands repeat business and the empire does not. So that's, that, I think that's a big thing. I also think we see the, um, in this episode, the clones transition to stormtroopers. Uh, even yeah. though they don't, the helmets don't change yet, that they're very stormtrooper-like and you know, we're going to throw a parade through town. So it's, uh, you know, they haven't started celebrating Empire Day, but this is like a week in. Yeah. No, no, There's no more. Uh, it's all the whitewashed armor now. There's no more mm -hmm. individualized armor, no more echoes or fives or anything like that. So that's a that's a good observation. Yeah. So other it's scary, too, isn't it? It's scary just seeing how rapidly the Empire's yeah. influence has spread. People are cheering for them on the one hand for the end of the war, they're celebrating, but on the other, they're sort of welcoming this new government that is offering, hey, turn in your, your money and you will get new imperial credits. And everyone says, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. Um, and as, as Hunter says, you know, they're moving much faster than I expected. Like this is, yeah, this is not good. You know? And, and they're, and they're getting, I mean, that's, that's the incentive to, to snap up all that personal information to get the chain code too. So 
they're rapidly establishing a network of known individuals all over the galaxy, which is really scary. And on the flip side, it's clear that I, I think that uh, that port administrator, that the little docking bay operator is part of a bigger network, a, pitter, a bigger like black market network of whether it's Fenix personal network of spies or somebody connected to the organization she's working for. I, that's, that's really inventive. I mean, that's, that's somebody with some connections and some know-how that's gotten uh, plants on places like Pantora to, in, in a strategic place too. You think about like, where's somebody of value going to be located on a random planet? Well, like probably the guy working the docking bay that people are coming in and out of. So, Hey, if there's anybody that I can pay or, have on the payroll to help me out and get critical info on bounties. Why not that person? So that, I thought that was kind of cool, uh, a neat little parallel. The Empire has spies everywhere, right? Well, That's right. It also raises an interesting issue of, was this planet occupied by the separatists? Because you know, doing a World War II comparison, it makes sense that the allies were welcomed in places that you know, Germany occupied or Imperial Japan mm -hmm. occupied and that the liberators were there. I think, and, I think Pantorum stayed with the Republic as far as I know, because they, uh, they had Senator Chuchi, the, the young female Pantorum that was the Senator for the planet. And I don't think they ever broke off. Certainly at the beginning of the Clone Wars series, you had, she wasn't a senator at the time, but there was some cooperation between the Pantorans and like Rex and some of the other clones uh, when they went to to uh, scout that moon, Ordo Plutonia. But in any event, I, I don't think they ever felt, I don't think they ever broke off and I don't think Pantor ever felt the separatist. But then again, this is the first time we've seen the planet on screen. So it, it could have, it could have easily, I mean, the, with the way the war went, um, the, the the vibe behind that uh, that parade was certainly one that I think you might have hit the nail on the head. Because yeah, it's one thing if it's a parade in New York City after you know VJ Day and going like okay yeah. we won you know it's fantastic and it was a national effort you know we people yeah. were work, working swing shifts kids were doing scrap metal drives and rubber drives and did they have something similar? If so, if the answer is no, like no one felt it, you know, like how many people, you know, have felt the fact that, you know, we've been in Ga Afghanistan for 20 years, short of those who've either been there or those who have family members there, like we don't have national paper drives mm -hmm. to raise funds for the war, mm -hmm. you know, the, the 20 year war. Yeah, that yeah. That's, that, that's a really good point, Josh. I mean, it's the primacy issue. Like, you know, you don't care so long as it doesn't affect you. You can read about these headlines or, you know, hear about things happening in far away, distant places. But so long as it doesn't affect you, um, you know, it, it can be in another world for uh, for all anyone cares. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah just weird to go like if this planet was completely untouched from the war. And then there's a military parade from the victorious army. Like, what's the celebration at that point? Right. It's like, right. what? Because there's no connective tissue for them to go, like, this was our moment, our victory. You know, it's like, it's a clone army. You guys didn't supply anyone to fight. Did anyone die? You know, like, you have a. You just, 
it, with it meet your meet your new friendly occupying force. Yeah. So that wouldn't <laughs> we're be just here to enforce order. Yeah. That's right. We're here to bring freedom to you. And in order to save the village, we have to destroy the village. Like that doesn't yeah. you don't you don't sell that. Uh, so again, that just it left me perplexed. And um, we're, we're, we're getting some comments too from um, a participant who's pointing out that uh, Jin Erso and Rogue One said it's not a problem if you don't look up. You know? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> that's that's not necessarily true. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. And she comes around, and you know, maybe these people will too eventually on on the planet. It's like ask those who lived under Stalin. Yeah, it was fine if you didn't make eye contact <laughs> and uh, didn't upset anyone. You weren't yeah. shot in the back of the head then. So, uh, yeah, let's count the like Stalin killed twenty to twenty-five million of his own people, and yeah. So, uh, yeah, you, sometimes you can't hide. Um, that said. Let's just, not, okay. No, you, you're, you know, you're you're reading my mind because the business of like the average person in their view of the war is actually a really good segue to the next issue because you see a random citizen involved in this next um, this next legal issue, which is the the little shopkeeper there, the grand, um, which I love the like three. He had like a little magnifying glass for all three of his eyes, which was a nice touch. <laughs> all yeah. of them looked really dirty. Yeah, it's it's tough to imagine what his vision would be like, but um, <laughs> he I feel bad for him because he does get screwed, and it raises the issue of fraud, because uh, Hunter's trying to sell an explosive device, which is wrong on many levels. And the merchant's like, no, I'm not a black market guy. This is I but I'll buy your droid. And you know, this, I nearly named this episode, don't sell your friends. Like that's, <laughs> it's just, that makes holidays awkward. It, it gets weird. <laughs> <laughs> we got a what? <laughs> oh, hell no. Uh, and Echo, I mean, he takes it like a champ, but this is pure fraud. To you have a material misrepresentation of fact, and there's an exchange of funds, and the intent is okay. You escape when I give you the signal. <laughs> like this is it's pure fraud, and and the fact I that just love that he's he's not upset with the fact that they're committing a crime to get money. He's upset with the amount of money. <laughs> Yes. Required in the not not that they need more money, but that he's worth more. <laughs> How much am I worth, really? Right here, just, just lay it on the line. How much is a clone soldier? I don't know the here? bottom line, but it's more than two thousand. More than two thousand credits. Come on now. It's, yeah. Have you guys watched Ted Lasso? Yes. Oh yeah. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> when they do the the auction and you have some of the players getting, they're like their feelings hurt. I'm only going for what? <laughs> so. mm -hmm. Yep. No one wants to find out they're the bargain deal like that. That would be hurtful, but yeah. at the same time, uh, yeah, you you just sold one of your buddies in order with the intent of defrauding someone. So, 
There's no buyer beware in this situation either. It's not like you can defraud somebody and it's their fault that they didn't discover the fraud. This isn't like, uh, you know, you're buying a used car off somebody and nobody knows that there's an oil leak or the seller doesn't know. And you just don't do your due diligence to check out the car and you miss the oil leak. Well, that's not the seller's fault. Now, if they know that something's wrong with the car and they just failed to disclose it, especially if you ask about it, then that's a different story. But, you know, had he just like maybe lifted up the visor or, you know, I don't know, punched it or something, he would have gotten it pretty quickly. But that's not that's not on the the shopkeeper there. It's diagnostic. I mean, it's like caveat emptor to the worst degree. Yeah. And there's no uh, release. So like, there's no, this is, this is an as is droid and <laughs> it might have some human parts. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's not yeah. a total lie. Cause I mean, on some level it's probably true, but. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you've got a bunch of problems you know, this is an oral contract cause there's nothing in writing. So yeah. there's no specific terms. Usually you need a, a an instrument in writing. If you're talking well, about a certain amount of money or yeah. land um chattel perhaps does a droid count i mean you know we're in some gray area there i don't know if that's been definitively decided uh and as you both point out this is a little different the seller uh knows for certain that he is not selling the buyer what the buyer believes they are getting so there is definitely some fraud there's no meaning of the minds here you now so there no. really isn't any contract I think the Bad Batch, uh, we were just talking a moment ago about how they're sort of fish out of water, but Hunter seems to be learning uh, how to fish pretty quickly here. Uh, yeah. You know? <laughs> he kind of gets it done. So, Yeah, and Echo's around, so there's a little of that as well, but still it's super, yeah. super disturbing. We, we don't need to dive down the rabbit hole on it, but the the other piece in this scene that, that you touched on, the sale of military property, that's actually something that happens, you know, not – with frequency, but it's something like I've prosecuted that crime uh, in, in court martial, but from time to time you will get military members that are issued, you know, lawfully issued certain equipment. You know, we get the average soldier, even a low ranking soldier is issued just thousands upon thousands of dollars worth of uh, equipment. Some of which is sensitive and, and, you know, potentially dangerous like this, this explosive item. And so, you know, not only is it a crime to do, I mean, it's, it's larceny. If you're, uh, you know, selling that you're, you're stealing it from the government, you're taking it with the intent to permanently deprive the government of that piece of equipment. Um, but it can be an aggravating, uh, factor to sell something that's a sensitive item. So I, you know, I had a trial where we, uh, we had some folks that were selling like night vision goggles and some other like high end, they were selling them because they're high end, highly sought after, and high high uh, dollar value items, but they're also very sensitive, and and uh, you know the government doesn't want those things out on the market, and you know all it takes is an unscrupulous you know pawn dealer or somebody like that, and uh, you know you'll never find those things again, and so the government goes after that stuff pretty hard, but you know that that's the risk here. You've got all these like millions of clones across the galaxy, and probably a lot of equipment this little bomb is probably one of many that are, that are out there, but it's funny that the, the shopkeeper won't, you know, he's, he's very quick to say, no, I'm not just going to take any old thing like that. So, um, 
you might have an attempt there, but the shopkeeper was more interested in dealing in other government property. <laughs> you know, one, one, one other point and you know, maybe a closing thought as we move off of this and into the next issue, but um, does it make you guys feel any better for the clone's position when as Echo leaves, he appears to offer the shopkeeper some money to try to kind of make it right a little bit? Um, does that help them, you think? <laughs> I I don't know how to feel. I really don't. <laughs> it's like, sorry about the damage. Here you go. It's like Colin <laughs> walking out of the bar, out of the cantina, right? Oh, sorry about the damage. Plus some that coin, yeah. Or uh, Clark Kent in Superman 2 beating up the bully, breaking the pinball machine or whatever it is. And it's like, oh, yeah, sorry about the damage. Here you go. <laughs> I, good, good comparisons. I still feel that's weird. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, he, he also borrows the other droids. Oh, like, yeah. Hey, that's true. All of me, boys, we're going in the field. It's like he just he's temporarily renting them. That's all. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think uh, there's a bailment, right? Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, and they, with, with the exception of the, the manager, you know, the Astromechs were like excited to get out and actually do that's their right. thing. <laughs> Yeah. A and jailbreak, it's like, you know? <laughs> it's like we're we're trapped in this closet doing work, so we're supposed to work on starships. So this is what we're supposed to do and we're happy. Mm. And boy, do they work quick. I mean, you gotta love those little astromechs. So a ah, lot there. Well, let's get to the next issue, and that's hiring a bounty hunter to kidnap a child. And we've talked a lot about bounty hunters because of Mandalorian. They're supposed to go after bail jumpers. When you start using bounty hunters to kidnap people or murder, that's now murder for hire, it's solicitation. That's not what they're supposed to do. So like the term bounty hunter really isn't right for her. It's mercenary makes more sense. Hitman, you know, it's, there's a lot there. Uh, uh, either of you want to jump in on child abduction? I, yeah, I, I think in general, it, it, the question that I have is if if this is a Kaminoan operation, if if Camino has hired Fennec, you know, what's the intent there? You know, do they do they have the requisite intent because they see Omega, I almost want to say Omega, just because of the because yeah. <laughs> of the Kiwi accent. But um, you know, they see her as property, as chattel. They don't see her. I mean, she's a living thing, but they you know they, they view her very differently. So to them, they're not hiring. They're they're hiring somebody to reacquire property that has become lost or was stolen from them. Um, and and the reason that they're not using the Empire for this task is, you know, presumably just to keep a lid on, on secrecy. And, you know, they don't, the last thing that they need while they're trying to renegotiate a contract for clones is losing a clone and, and a specialized one there. So I don't know. It, that's an interesting twist on this. Um, then again, I think the other side of that argument is like, can they conceivably say that these are, are, these living beings that they've grown are rightfully property of theirs. 
it, it, that, that's not a question that's easily answered. Uh, you know, there's going to be several very large hurdles if we start going down that analytical path. Um, uh, I think Thomas has hit, you know, the key issue uh, right away. And that is, and I was wondering the same thing, um, who's hired her and what are the terms of her engagement here? Because mm -hmm. uh, when we are introduced to her, uh, I think, you know, my sense certainly was, okay, this is another sinister attempt by some dastardly entity, probably the empire. They're just out to, you know, knock her off, kill her, do, do some horrible experiments upon her. That would certainly seem to fall into the category of our right, bounty hunters are not being used in the, for the purpose uh, for which they were intended within the sort of legal definition of a bounty hunter. Uh, because, yeah, as we talked about earlier, you know, extensions of the government um, through the FAA operatives or you know people who work with the FAA that can be appropriate when the government doesn't have enough resources. Bounty hunters can fall into a somewhat similar um, area, legally speaking, because they essentially help law enforcement, and law enforcement can't be everywhere at once. So sometimes the law enforcement um, ha asks for help, and bounty hunters can step in, and that that is. That is a function that can be served, and you know they're within they're within a, sort of a legal okay zone. Uh, so if it's the empire and it's all these sinister motives and um, you know terrible kind of uh, parameters for the contract, then I think we can say that yeah, this is really not legally appropriate. It's not going to stop them. I mean, you know, some horrible person that's going to hire a bounty hunter, they're not really going to be caring much about whatever inter intergalactic laws they're violating. However. It, you know, we, we really need to know more context. If we add some additional facts here, and it does turn out that the Kaminoans are behind this, and we know that they're running some kind of side hustle, some kind of an angle where they are definitely, their interests are not fully aligned with the fledgling empire right now. Uh, and they created Omega. They just want her back for some reason. She's going to serve some larger purpose. Uh, even if that all gets exposed, I think legally... The Kaminoans and Fennec, they've got a pretty good legal leg to stand on to say, look, this is all um, above board. Uh, Omega, maybe she's not property, maybe she is, but the Kaminoans have some kind of right to her and she skipped out. So I'm bringing her back. Um, you know, if it's not property, maybe they're considered her parents, you know, so, you, you know, it, it is it is fully legally appropriate in that situation for the Kaminoans or someone like that to be hiring Fennec. I, I do not accept hiring Fennec to recover property because people aren't property. I do accept the, pros, the proposition that uh, the Kaminoans are her parents or specifically uh, the one that was raising her and I'm blanking on her on that character's name. The doctor, wasn't it? Or yeah, it, yeah. It, so I mean, like they would, if that person's the legal guardian, that I can get behind, but the, yeah. the recovering property, like it's just, that's, no, they're people. That's tough. Yeah, that's yeah. tough. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, we're not going to treat her as property. That would be, nope, uh-uh, we fought a war over that, nope. Um, uh, even though the, and the Republic didn't tolerate it. So, uh, so yeah, that shouldn't, shouldn't be a thing. Anywho, that brings us to a lot of the things that happens with this 
attempt to either recover Omega or kidnap her. And <laughs> uh, so Hunter steals a speeder. Fennec does some carjacking and kills <laughs> police officers. There's a lot to break down there. So, you know, across the board, there's child endangerment with all of Fennec's actions, whether it's, uh, you know, shooting through, you know, the fight with Wrecker to the tower and Omega hanging off the tower and then the high-speed chase. All child endangerment. Uh, I'm not the parent here. You guys each are. <laughs> like your reaction to that. <laughs> yeah, this is a very, it, it's a very action-packed and I would say a classic Star Wars action scene. We don't see this so much in the live action movies, but we've certainly seen it a lot in the Clone Wars animated show and many other animated series. And the, we, we see the same issues arise again and again, because what we have is a chase that starts somewhat innocuously and then just becomes so much more. It's like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm going to borrow your bike. I mean, he doesn't even say this, but yeah, I, I think it's intense certainly is let me use your bike to... Um, so I can rescue this kid, sort of like my kid. I think he's starting to see her as his child. Uh, and I'll bring it right back. And, you know, okay, no harm, no foul. It's going to be quick, no problem. But it quickly spirals out of control because Fennec steals something. She, You know, we can argue from the previous question, maybe Fennec is already on the wrong side of the law. Uh, if she's kidnapping, she's engaging in a felony. And during the course of this dangerous chase, and it's remarkable how dangerous it is because they're very high up in the air, high altitude, moving at extremely uh, extreme velocities. Um, one little turn here or there can inflict tremendous damage and injuries on other people. We certainly know they cause damage. We know that law enforcement um, is killed. Other people may very well have been injured as well. So, you know, any injuries or deaths during the commission of a felony would then be chargeable to the person who's engaged in the act the under the felony murder rule. So Fennec would certainly be in a lot of legal jeopardy from a criminal standpoint, certainly. And then not to, not to even begin to speak of the civil liability. Um, but uh, Hunter, yeah, he's going to be in some trouble too, you know, stealing the guy's speeder and definitely causing some property damage. And I'm trying to remember, yeah, he does rescue Omega with the speeder, I don't know that he ever returns the speeder. I, I think the speeder does remain at least functional. Um, but we have what starts out as sort of a small type of chase. It escalates out of control, and you know, we see just tremendous damage and tremendous um, injuries, uh, and at least the loss of life of one, if not two, law enforcement officers. So uh, I think Fennec's in a lot of trouble, and Hunter's definitely connected to this, so he's you know, he's potentially in some trouble too. He may need to lawyer up pretty quickly. Um, it's the the use of the IED to take out Fennec's uh, vehicle that she carjacked is problematic because from a so it's one thing if it's self-defense when you can't escape. Even, you know, granted, there's a lot of talk about standard ground laws if people watched the last episode of John Oliver. Uh, but I do think he got part of it wrong because California's had standard ground since like the 1840s. Like it's 
we've had it the entire history of our state. It's getting applied differently in places that are passing it right now. And in the, the way that people are acting because of it is right, not the way it should, it wasn't intended. Uh, this is, he's on a speeder. He, they've separated. She's not firing at them, but she's still a threat. And he uses the IED on her to <laughs> blow up the vehicle. I don't, if this was a, uh, a planet that had the retreat requirement, I think that went out the window. If it was a place that did not require retreat, uh, I don't think it's still okay because he took an extra shot uh, when arguably when the threat had passed, unless you want to argue that the threat is constant as long as she's uh, in a moving vehicle. Either of you have reactions to, to that? Yeah, I mean, this was where I think the, the sort of desperation of the whole episode came to a, a culminating point because I think Fennec gets, Fennec is at her sort of sloppiest, if you will, in terms of um, creating ripple effect problems for herself uh, as this chase unfolds. And Hunter really is too. I mean, it speaks to his desperation to get Omega safe and get get her back. Um, but you have a whole lot of chaos and a whole lot of attention that that's brought there. Um, I wonder whether you know could he claim any kind of um, defense of another in this situation? I'm trying to remember this scene and and how exactly it plays out. Whether he could reasonably uh argued that omega was she, omega's back with him at this point she's back with it yeah i mean then that's that's a big problem i think um you know there, there's no argument to say that that uh you know once once your your right to self-defense ends you don't have this continuing offensive allowance under the law yeah. You know, you can't. Hey, I'm I'm worried that this person yeah. might come back after me. Right. And the interesting thing, you know, Josh, you brought up the the stand your ground laws, but I, you know, maybe there is a state where it's applied very liberally, or that the law is is uh, written very liberally in in terms of, um, you know, the the type of fear that's allowed to be played into. But it's just hard to say. You know, the the, the basic tenet of self defense law is. Uh, or one of those, one of them is you can't be the first aggressor. You can't create the danger and then claim self-defense. Um, and so like that, you can't extricate yourself and then claim that you still need to use offensive deadly force to end some perceived future threat. You, you've, you've got a duty, I think at that point to, to go about your business. So I, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a big problem for for Hunter. Steve, any thoughts? Um, <laughs> I'm chuckling a little bit as I remember some of the def self defense issues because remember posing these questions. Um, you know, if you got some sinister person who's clever with the law, and I, I remember this has been 
attempted in some stories in various forms where they essentially they are the aggressor they kind of s start the altercation then they go oh, whoa, whoa whoa no 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 I, I was just kidding and then they kill the person and they argue self-defense that should not work you know but <laughs> but it doesn't stop people from trying so. yeah which is why the the last episode of last week tonight's pretty haunting because the the application of the stand your ground examples they used were people who are acting like the aggressor and they're effectively, you know, arguing defense of other pro somebody else's property. I saw somebody outside my neighbor's house. So I went outside and shot them. It's like, that shouldn't have worked. Like that's not, that's not self-defense. That's at worst at best defense of somebody else's property, which is you can't use lethal force. You know, you can't do that. Right. And so when seeing examples where people go out and seek danger and seek a confrontation, and then they have lines memorized from a self-defense group saying, oh, this was, I, I feared for my safety. It's like, you went out and confronted them. Like this is, it's a very different situation. And you know, the, you know, the line that I would use in my opening in defensive Hunter though, I would just, it, it'd be perfect. She was too dangerous to be kept alive. <laughs> uh, I rest my case. I wasn't just defending Omega. I was defending the galaxy. Here. The galaxy. Yes, you can't have this. You can't have this scurrilous assassin. Too dangerous to live. Yeah, yeah. And I, get to, I get to decide that, Your Honor. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No. It's been decided. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Uh. -uh. No. We got a little little judge dread here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's that was the disturbing part with hunter uh because again there's collateral damage from a speeder exploding and crashing so yeah they, they need to get off this planet quick <laughs> yeah it's, and never go back yes, yes ever go back yeah. bye <laughs> it is interesting because it's it's becoming clear she's gone from the just an average stowaway and and sort of this annoyance to the crew this the sort of extra monkey wrench in their problem or in their grand set of problems to a part of the family that they're willing to really undertake some unnecessary well unnecessary maybe in like the most logical sense but some really uh dangerous risks for yeah. uh, you know they, they're bringing the kind of heat on themselves that um, I don't think that under any other circumstances they right. would do. This would be a quick job. They'd get in, bribe the guy, uh, fix that transponder, and get out. And yet here, you know, cops are getting killed, speeders are stolen, uh, poor shopkeepers are defrauded, and all over a little girl. Yeah. And I, I think that's awesome. That's why this is not a filler episode because if you watch this and you don't see the development of that relationship and like hunters just continuing attachment, growing attachment to this little girl and the, the risks that it's putting the larger team in, you know, you're missing something in the episode. I don't know. Yeah. The, the, pro the progression of the relationships is, is a big theme here. And because she's a child, it's endearing, you know, and at least that's how it comes across. Sorry, Josh, right. go ahead. Well, you have Wrecker. Wrecker is super protective of her. 
yeah. from and, from willing to go, you know, one on one with Fennec to um, you know, like don't scare the kid. It's just he's he's very much the loving uncle. And he made a room for her. Remember? Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like they there's there's this trend in Star Wars now that Star Wars has always been about family, but um, as screen junkies noted, uh, they set a really low bar for being a good dad, and, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Din Djarin so far has been the best dad that we've seen on screen. <laughs> you just need to step right over it. No, no jumping necessary. <laughs> Yeah. Did you cut off your kid's hand? No. All right. So like already Dad of the year. (laughs) Already, like way up there. Uh have you committed a war crime lately? No. (laughs) Fantastic. So uh, but they're they they they're following this. And I don't know if this will be a a, a new if it's a new theme that Mm -hmm. but the fact we're seeing it twice is impressive that uh People who normally would not be raising a kid are raising a kid and it's not obnoxious. It's like, so like it's good storytelling with, with heart. So I don't know if they're going to continue this in other media that they create, but they, they're moving beyond just it being a never ending war in space. You know, the, the family bond theme that we saw in The Mandalorian was very powerful. I think people really responded to that, the bond between the child and Din Djarin. Um, that was very powerful. And we're seeing another expression of that here with um, with Omega and the, and the Bad Batch. And interestingly, in both story arcs, uh, you know, both the child and Omega are essentially the, the MacGuffins. You know, that they are the item that is being sought around whom most of the drama is created. Um, and we knew why the child was important because you know, he had all these tremendous force abilities. We're still not quite sure why Omega is important. We, we've theorized on that before, mm-hmm. but, I, you know, she, she's essentially the damsel in distress in this episode or the child in distress. Um, she doesn't exert any powers yet. And I think the most we've seen so far has been that first 70-minute episode where she grips the blaster and you know fires fires off a bullseye on her first attempt. Uh, so there's something there, but that's all we really know so far. You know, I mean, she's pretty smart too. She's picking things up quickly, but uh, there 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 are layers upon layers, and we haven't seen the whole thing yet with when it comes to Omega. And it's working. You know, it's not it's not over the top. You know, she's she's not doing the Wesley Crusher, I saved the day again. And she's not getting into trouble all the time. No, this was, she saw a puppy. She petted the puppy, the puppy licked her, and then grabbed the action figure that she had. So, like, that's those the comedy of errors. And also the, you know, Hunter learning the importance of you can't turn your back on the kid. Uh, because they are quite precocious and will disappear on you. Um, it was a nice little callback to. Um, was it Rogue One with the toy or? Well, the, the toy yeah. uh, resistance with um, the little dog. The Was it a oh. horrible? Like Buggles. Yeah. Uh, they have one of those that's, um, goodness, 
heavily fe- Buggles is the name of the dog in the show. But uh, yeah, the, the uh, captain's daughter has the dog. Yes, right. And I'm blanking on her name because I haven't seen Resistance like 15 times each episode. So, uh, what is it Toradoza? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, the champion. My adult, my adult trivia brain. Yeah. There's a reason you're a Star Wars trivia champion. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's. My wife would describe it differently. <laughs> <laughs> It's all very some you know useless or useful all in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, you know, one man's garbage facts is another man's <laughs> another man's you know really awesome. limited talent. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. So yes, it is. Uh, well, that covers all the main issues. Uh, that we saw this this week, and you know it's a meaty episode. Each one's been pretty meaty with legal analysis, um, high speed chase and killing cops. That generally is, you know, there's a lot. That's a lot uh, for us to to dig into. I think Fennec's going to be on their tail the rest of this yeah. season. Yeah, it's far from the last time we've seen of her. Yeah, and we'll see what character arc she gets i still wonder about her age because it's like (laughs) again it's like is this the universe where the well basically anyone not on tatooine is going to be very well preserved is there just great moisturizer and health care that keeps them young looking opposed to (laughs) you know kenobi uh uncle owen and aunt peru who look like they put on 50 years in the span of 19 so it's uh what happens when you don't use sunscreen <laughs> yeah there's, there's some kind of fountain of youth out there in the galaxy far far away and some people know about it some people don't i guess you know <laughs> it's like yeah. it's a great spa so they uh yeah fennec and bo katan made it there yeah um, yeah <laughs> and kenobi did not so so, yeah, not so much. No. You'd think the force would preserve him, but I guess not. No, no. Well, again, they um, uh, there's only yeah. so much forethought in doing the prequels. <laughs> y- Yoda, Yoda only promised to train him how to commune uh, <laughs> with those who had turned into the yeah. force. He didn't tell him that he was going to make him look like uh, Paul Rudd. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Paul Rudd is the standard. You know, from Clueless to Avengers Endgame, he hasn't aged today. No. (laughs) Just the painting in his attic. So, (laughs) right. My goodness. Yeah. Uh, But he's good. Um, So, with that, everyone, thanks for tuning in. There's, we'll have a lot more to talk about. There's a lot of new content coming out that's super fun. So, I've just started watching Modoc on Hulu and it's hysterical. And so we'll we'll dip into that. So everyone stay safe, stay healthy, and stay geeky. We all take care. <laughs>